Hey, this is Nerdy. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Amanda. This is the podcast that you're listening to because, I mean, why not? Today is the day you venture into our geek girl minds and the minds of some of the craziest. So let's start off with the weekly geekly. This is where your favorite basic bitch and bog witch try to keep you up to date on all things geekdom. And this week we will definitely have some new marvelous news. <laughs> I see, see what, what you I did there. there. I totally see what you did there. There have been a couple rumors floating around like Beverly. We're all floating in Feige's Marvel trance. But Iron Man himself has come down to confirm that he will be in Black Widow. Also, there's the possible casting of Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop, which I don't know how to feel about it because she's been in a lot of, like, haha funny and, like, same singing movies. So, like, I don't know if she can handle being, like, serious. Not to mention her music career. Can you imagine all the Marvel films they would have to, like, base off of her new single or new album that comes out? Like, I'm yeah. just not about that life. Plus, I just, she's not Kate for me. I mean, people can hate or love that comment, but I just she's just not my Kate Bishop. Sorry, just not. Um, however, I would love to see them bring somebody over from, like, London or the UK. Yes. And put them in a role. Like, I want to see that person interviewed in an accent and then, like, on screen with an American accent. I think that would be badass. Give and- me Daenerys Targaryen. Normally, I would agree with you because I love my mother dragon. I just feel like she needs a break. There's been a lot of time with Game of Thrones. I feel like she needs to go more into like random movies and just kind of figure out where she wants to go next because she's been in a franchise. She might not want to. She might want a break. I mean, I feel like like Emma Watson did. Yeah, yeah. She went on that feminist movement and I'm all about it. She went on the feminist movement, did like a whole bunch of like funny, funny movies. I feel like she's on that timey-wimey thing, like, um, <laughs> like, Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley, like, just disappeared into, like, the time zone of, like, what, the 1800s or something? Oh, yeah, no, she did a lot of, like, period pieces, and I'm not talking about menstruation. <laughs> well, now that we've gone on that sidebar... <laughs> However, I think the best news this week has to be that Marvel has definitely got Spidey for at least two more films. Woo! <laughs> New deal was signed on Thursday, according to inside sources. In exchange for the Feige's awesome expertise, Marvel and Disney will receive 25% of the profits. Disney will retain its merchandising rights, which we all know means everything to Disney. Now I'm hungry for porgs. Stop it. <laughs> the porgs are too cutie. But they look like they'd be delicious. Oh, delicious. It's like when people eat guinea pigs. Oh my gosh, that part in Star Wars where Chewie just like is trying to eat the porg and the porgs are just looking at him like, mm. that's me. That's me every time I somebody talks about eating those porgs. God. As a part of the arrangement, Spider-Man will also appear in one future Marvel Studios film and one solo Spider-Man film. The film is scheduled to release on July 16, 2021. Mark your calendars, y'all. Amy Pascal will also produce the film through Pascal Picture as she has already done on the first two Holland-led films. Feige also stated, I am thrilled that Spidey's journey in the MCU will continue, and I and all of us at Marvel Studios are very excited that we get to keep working on it. Spider-Man is a powerful icon and a hero whose story crosses all ages and audiences around the globe. 
He also happens to be the only superhero with the superpower to cross cinematic universes. So as Sony continues to develop their own Spidey universe, you will never know what surprises the future might hold, Feige. Dude, why does Feige always have to fuck with my heart, man? He's literally the worst. I have been watching my boyfriend seethe in pain from not knowing what Feige is going to do with the New Mutants. And honestly, I'm right there with him. But he's giving me my Jane Thor, so I guess I'll have to remain calm for now. Because Natalie Portman's back, and there are possibilities, and I have faith in Tycho. However, I want my X-Men done right, Feige. Hey, hey, take a deep breath, Lindsay. Okay, okay. Because <laughs> this isn't the anxiety-ridden things that we're addressing today, okay? That's right. Today is serial killers we love to hate. We hate what they did. However, we definitely love the creepy moments reenacted by actors, especially for me, Mindhunter. So I'll be starting the insomnia that you'll endure. <laughs> like a beautiful version of Tales from the Crypt. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So the first serial killer that I would like to talk about is Elizabeth Bathory. Uh, she was a Hungarian countess that lived in the 16th and 17th centuries. You know, she was born in 1560, died in 1614, just two weeks after turning 54 years old. Jeez. Oh, yeah. And her family had control of Transylvania. What? Yes, Transylvania. She was married, had four kids, somewhere between 1602 and the death of her husband in 1604. And after his death, the rumors of her cruelty really began to surface. And they say that it even ramped up even more after her husband's death. So... The way it goes is, with the help of servants, she was rumored to have tortured and killed more than 600 girls. And allegedly, she kept a diary with the names of all of her victims, which totaled over 650. But that diary has been more of a legend, and it's never been found. And the murders of those born as peasants went unchecked for years until claims were made in 1609 that she killed a bunch of girls of noble birth. So did they, like, she only kill girls of noble birth? Or was it just like... No, she, from what it said, she killed mostly those that were peasants because nobody paid attention to them. Nobody really noticed... It wasn't important if they went missing, but she then went after girls of noble birth, and that was when people finally started to notice, like, hey, she's doing something fishy. Like, this girl went to go live with her, and now she's no, she's gone. Nobody knows where she is. <laughs> Queen Elizabeth, I don't know where she went. She was with that crazy woman the other day. She was with that weird witch. <laughs> so she was arrested December 30th of 1609 with a few of her servants, and the trials didn't begin until 1611. But that trial led to the execution of three of her servants, all of whom were charged with witchcraft and burned at the stake. But the better question is, what happened to her? Did she get put to death too, or was it just the servants? Oh, I'm getting there, girl. So... Bathory herself was never really, never tried. Like, she was never put on the stand or anything. But she was informally charged with the death of 80 girls and for the killings. But she was confined to her home until she died. So she literally was basically put on house arrest until she died two weeks after she turned 54. Now, the rumored methods of torture and death for all of these girls. She burned them with hot irons. She would beat them to death with clubs, stuck needles under their fingernails, which makes my hands hurt just thinking uh, about just that. just makes my spine hurt all yes. of it. I think I've had enough. 
It's torture oh, just to hear. Yeah, well, guess what? Get ready to get tortured some more. She would pour ice water over their bodies and let them freeze to death outside. She would cover them in honey so that bugs could feast on exposed skin. So she just she, was a horrible, nasty person who tortured oh, yeah. these people like Vlad the Impaler, but like more like waterboard torture. Like it's just bad. Yeah. She would sew their lips together. Hello, Billy Butcherson. She bit chunks of flesh off of their breasts and faces. And then additionally, witnesses said she liked using scissors on her victims to cut off their hands, their noses, their genitals. And they said one of her favorite pastimes was using scissors to slice open the skin between their fingers. My favorite rumor, and actually it's the reference I make often when I talk about skin. Like if people, somebody asks me about my skin, you're like, oh my God, you have such pretty skin. She was basically a cannibal who bathed in the blood of her victims to maintain her youth and beauty. I just do it because of my anemia. And that's what they, scientists actually figured out that that's why they did it. That's why people would drink it and then they'd be like, like that whole vampire thing that went around and like, I can't even remember if that was like the 1800s or like the 90s. Oh, it's been going on for centuries. It's like, you're anemic. But I'm going to finish with this about Elizabeth Bathory. In more recent years, scholars have uncovered that the rumors of her violence may have been greatly exaggerated for the monetary gain of her rivals, which were all men, okay? So, honestly, she could have been just a normal person, or honestly, she could have been a blood-sucking murderous demon sent by Morningstar himself, so who knows? So, yeah, that's it for... uh my homegirl elizabeth bathory oh my god she's a fucking creepy 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 she bathed in the blood of peasant girls to keep her youth and beauty hashtag not my type of feminism (laughs) that's a nice warm spa what are you talking about (laughs) okay so of course anybody that knows me knows that i love anything uh murdery uh like in this sense I love murdering people. (laughs) I love the murder. They haven't got me yet. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I like all the shows that uh, they put out. And recently, Mindhunter has grabbed me in a whole new fierce way by having one of my favorites, Ed Kemper. So, of course, because of that, I picked Ed Kemper, who is played by Cameron Britton. And he is truly fucking amazing. Like, I truly had chills watching him portray such an oddly like freaky guy that like at the end of the episodes you just like you're like oh he's my friend until that last episode at the end of season one you're like oh fuck if Kemper's my friend fuck that shit no wonder that dude had a panic attack poor Ford oh my god anywho dude spoilers uh, one of the weirdest facts about the show Mindhunter is the stories behind the real Kemper's true crimes are riveting enough to be the basis for an entire series in their own right. Some of the dialogue spoken by Britain on the show was even lifted directly from series of interviews that the real life co-ed killer himself, which were recorded between 1984 and 1991. Shut up. I know, right? It was, like, pulled from the legit, like, transcripts and everything? Yep. That's creepy. And the guy that plays him plays him so well, and it is so fucking freaky. So, with all serial killers, I feel like you have to start at childhood, because, you know, mommy and daddy, something fucked the kid up. Let's, let's see. Where are all the signs? So his fascination with death came at a very young age. 
So we start with his birth in December 18, 1948. He had a contentious relationship with his alcoholic mother who moved him and his two sisters to Burbank, California, to Montana. After she divorced his father in 1957. Can you imagine that change from California to Montana? Dude. I thought it was a shock going from, like, New Jersey to where I live now. Like, it from population of, like, like in the 20,000 range to literally my town's population is under 2,000. Our, like, houses were stacked on top of each other where I used to live. And my neighbor is a quarter of a mile away from me now. I could scream and he probably wouldn't hear me. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. Stop reminding me Murder that. house. Stay safe. <laughs> so it never gets better. It only gets worse. So he so- showed signs of severe mental disturbance from an early age. He would cut off the heads of his sister's dolls and even coerce them, the girls, to play a game he called Gas Chamber. Okay, wait. He coerced <laughs> his sister into playing or he coerced the dolls? Like the girls, the sisters. The, uh, like the girls. Like his sister and their friends? Yeah, to play gas chamber. What the? In which, let, wait, what? the details, details, it's all in the details. Which he had them blindfold him and lead him to a chair where he pretended to writhe in agony until he, quote unquote, died. At 10... He buried one of the family cats alive. <gasps> 13, he killed another with a knife. Okay, I don't want to talk about dead cats now because I'm staring at my cats across <laughs> the living room from me. Wait, and I could wait, never, wait, wait. never. All the signs. All the signs. Well, and you thank know, God I'm not a psychopath. And you got to think this is 1957, 19, like probably 60s era. But it gets worse. It gets worse, okay? He oh, killed, it gets worse from there? He killed his own grandparents, honey. Oh, my God. After sending him to live with his father briefly in hopes that he would cure his behavior, his mother tried passing him on to live with his paternal grandparents in Norfolk, California. Back to Cali. Going back, back, Cali? back to Cali, Cali. <laughs> Hoping they would, <laughs> they could be more help to him. Unfortunately, she couldn't have been more fucking wrong, in my opinion. After a fight with his grandmother in 1964, 15-year-old Kemper shot and killed her in the kitchen. And then he shot and killed his grandfather. And when he told authorities why he killed his grandmother, it was because he wanted to see what it felt like. And that he killed his grandfather so he wouldn't have to grieve the loss of his wife. It gets worse. I mean, but that's kind of nice of him that he didn't want his grandfather to die of a broken heart, just like a gunshot wound. I mean, it could be that, but it also could be sexist. I mean, the world may never know. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so another, following the murder of his grandparents, it only gets worse. A variety of tests led to him being diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and sent to, oh my God, Altascarado State Mental Hospital, because it's not an institute. Um, I don't know if I butchered that, and I'm sorry if I have a maximum security facility for mentally ill convicts. When he was released at the age of 21, the professionals at the 
hospital declared him to be a perfect example of the benefits of rehabbing youthful offenders. The statement written by his probation officer by far has to make me like it just makes me seethe and and cringe. And this is what it says. If I were to see this patient without having any history available or getting any history from him, I would think that we're dealing with a very well-adjusted young man who had initiative, intelligence, and who was free of any psychiatric illnesses. In my opinion, that he has made a very excellent response to the years of treatment and rehabilitation, and I see no psychiatric reason to consider him to be a danger to himself or any member of society. And since it may allow him more freedom as an adult, to develop potential, I would consider it reasonable to have a permanent expungion of his juvenile records. Baloney! <laughs> Hell no! Are how? you kidding me? That is so that that just shows how manipulative these people can be. No, could just, be since he's dead now. No, he's not dead. He's still alive. He's still he's on still death alive. Row. Yep, yep. We'll get there. But <laughs> the, you know what? The best part has to be not only that, but while he was in the psychiatric institute, Kemper had a pretty unusual job. Under the guidance of psychiatrics working in the hospital, Kemper was allowed to administrate psychological evaluations to the other patients. Kemper later said that the skills he learned during this period of life helped him fool doctors and encourage him to kill. He learned from rapists in the hospital that it is smarter to kill women after you attack them. So there are no witnesses. A practice Kemper did indeed adopt. So, like, they let him evaluate other other psychiatric patients. And then he took that and was like, I'm going to write that down. That's a good note. I'll remember mm-hmm. that for later. I'll remember that. Thank you for your advice, sir. Now get back to chewing on your straps. So, as I said before, he was released at the age of 21. In 1969, at the age of 21, Kemper was released. One of the biggest things was that he wanted to be a state trooper. So he attended community college in the hopes of bettering himself while still living with his mother because he went back to live with his mother. He and wanted we're back to be in Minnesota again. However, he was not accepted to train with the state troopers. Oddly enough, it wasn't because he was hospitalized or the murder of his grandparents, but because he was 6'9 and he was too tall. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> he was a big guy. In fact, following the release and after some urging from his mother, Kemper's juvenile record was erased, leaving the troopers with no idea he had previous crimes. Oh, hell no. Mm-hmm. Hell to the no, no, no. So I put his killings very, very, like, he engaged in necrophilia, cannibalism, and dismemberment of his victims. Between May 1972 and February 1973, Kemper murdered at least six female hitchhikers. I won't get into much details, but I'll leave you at this. He was once quoted in an interview, What do you think now? When you see a pretty girl walking down the street and answering himself, one side of me says, wow, what an attractive chick. I'd like to talk to her, date her. And the other side of me, I wonder how her head would look on a stick. What and Brett, the fuck? Yep. Yep. That was a quote straight from Kemper. And did you know, in Brett uh, Easton's Ellis's book, 
American Psycho, the main character Patrick Bateman himself, a serial killer, paraphrases this quote when asked about women, though he mistakenly attributes it to Ed Gein. Mm-mm-mm. And I'll leave Mm-mm. you with that. That is our, you know, crazy psycho, Edward Kemper. Oh, my God. Edmund Kemper. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> He's a freak. That just, like, that's, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I just like uh, sorry I'm trying to wrap my head around that real quick like the fact that you he murdered his grandparents and was in like a mental institution mm-hmm. but he couldn't become a cop because he was a fucking string bean mm-hmm. like are you kidding me he wasn't a string bean dude he was n- six nine and he was a huge ass fucking guy he was not a string bean he was like a like that's what I'm saying like he was like tall as fuck he was a stocky guy man Oh, my God. Yeah, like, he, I can't. Yeah, I, he, he I, definitely terrorized Santa Cruz, man. Oh, my gosh. All right. So my second lovely killer is one of my... You know me. I have a fascination with the macabre. The creepy, the crawly, the... Just not, like, the... Uh, spooky ghost blood and gore things but the like the like knowing the backstory of things and knowing about the people who have committed the crimes so i have for years had a fascination with john wayne gacy oh the clown pogo the killer clown Mm. so he was born march 1942 to a very ordinary blue collar family raised as an illinois native but looks can be deceiving Father was an abusive alcoholic, and he was molested repeatedly by a friend of the family. Now, when he was in his teens, he found out that he had a heart defect, which limited his ability to, like, be active and, like, go out for things. So he was bullied incessantly by classmates for his weight and his appearance. Well, when he was 18, he moved to Las Vegas to try and escape his father's abuse, and he was working as a mortuary attendant. Well, one night he got a little too close with the corpse of a teenage boy and the encounter confused him and he made the snap decision to call his mom and try and return home, but gave no explanation to her. So he went to college where he met his future wife and buried his past with the mortuary. (laughs) Get it? Buried? Mortuary? Anyway, he and his wife moved to Iowa where, where he was managing three restaurants of a chain of fried chicken places. And he joined the Waterloo JCs, which what I found out was it was like a men's club. And there was a very, very deep, dark underbelly to this club as there were rumors of wife swapping, drugs, prostitutes, and loads of pornography. So it was the swingers club. Mm, yes and no. Like it's swingers club isn't exactly, you know, like drugs and prostitutes. It's just a whole lot of sleeping with each other's wives and husbands. So during this time, he also started to indulge in his love of teenage boys and he acted on those desires. Many of those times were with the young boys employed at the restaurants that he managed. So then Gacy turned his basement into a place where underage boys would be enticed to hang out by the promise of, you know, alcohol and porn. And that is where that he would take advantage of them. Did you know that John Wayne Gacy would even go as far as to play a game with the boys? Did you read about that? I did, and I, my computer restarted itself, and I lost all of the articles I had. <sighs> okay, so 
just to piggyback on yours for a second. So John Wayne Gacy would do this thing where he would bring boys into a room and then he would be like, do you want to see a magic trip? Can, like, or do you want to try like to do this trick? And I, he was like, oh, they kind of like probably would be like, okay, cool. Yeah, sure. He'd tie them up, like try to see if they could get out of it. And then he would do all his shit. Because they couldn't. Because once you tied it, they were done. Well, like, yeah, because like motherfucker was practically a boy scout. Of course he could you know, tie some knots that nobody will be able to get out of. Mm-hmm. But he would also take advantage of them once they became, like, too intoxicated to resist. So forget even tying them up. Like, they were just wasted, passed out. Well, and that's what I mean. He would get these, he would do this game after he got them drunk. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah, sure, dude. Tie me up. I can totally get out of that. I, I got this, man. I can totally jump this 10-foot wall, no issue. So all while this was happening, Gacy's first wife was pregnant and then raising their two children, a boy and a girl born in 67 and 68, respectively, at which this time Gacy described his life as perfect. And he gained the approval of his father so he that he had so desperately sought after for the entirety of his life. And during his life, he was married twice and divorced twice. He had two biological children with his first wife, and then he gained two stepchildren with his second wife. In 1967, that was the year that Gacy's abuse of young men really began to ramp up as he hired the son of a fellow JC member's son to do odd jobs around his house, you know? And he used the same tactic of beer and porn to lure him in and proceeded to force him into oral sex, but this was just the start. He used the guise of a research project where participants were paid $50 for their participation and sometimes going so far as to blackmail these boys into sexual submission. But in March of 68, Gacy's first arrest for the assault occurred when the young man whose father was a fellow JC with him and told his father about the incident, who immediately notified the police, as did another young man reported what occurred. Gacy was charged with oral sodomy for the first young man and attempted assault of the second. Both charges, he completely maintained his innocence. Pretended he knew nothing about it, didn't do it, nothing. So, Gacy's been known as the killer clown because he was a part of a group that dressed as clowns for charity events and for parties, and he even told the police during interview, quote, Clowns can get away with murder. He said that to a cop. Like, he was he was under investigation, and he was just talking to a cop and was like, yeah, you know, clowns can get away with murder. Creep. Yeah, exactly. So, in 1968, Gacy was convicted of assaulting two teen boys and sentenced to 10 years, but he was released in the summer of 1970 on parole. So, he didn't even, he served less than two years of a 10-year sentence. Okay. Less than two years for assaulting two boys. Like, come on now. And then he was arrested again the following year after he was accused by another teen boy, but those charges were dropped when the boy didn't show up for the trial. Now, in mid-1970s, two more boys accused Gacy of rape, and he was questioned by police about the disappearances. This time of Gacy's life was referred to as his cruising years when he committed most of his murders. Now, in December of 1978, it was the beginning of the investigations into Gacy's crimes when he was the last known person to see a young man named Robert Peast, who went to see Gacy about a potential job with his construction company. Now, 10 days after Peace disappeared, the search of Gacy's home uncovered evidence of his involvement in many crimes, including murder. So much murder. So much murder. 
He first committed murder in 1972 after luring his 16-year-old victim to his home. The police investigation uncovered trenches beneath his home that were filled with human remains, totaling 29 bodies, eight of which were never able to be identified. And I just sit here and think to myself, what air freshener were you using, Gacy? Because he should have bottled that shit. Instead of the paintings that he had prisoners paint for him, he should have bottled his potpourri and sold that shit online. Straight up, the smell coming from down there. Because, you know, he they would have guests in the house and they would have, you know, his wife would ask about the smell. He said that there was, like, moisture trapped in the walls. And it was causing that smell. He literally made up an, an excuse for why there was the smell of dead, rotting bodies, saying that there was moisture trapped in the walls. So Gacy admitted to killing 30 young men and boys, but has been accused of more. In all, he was charged with 33 counts of murder after a rejected plea of innocence by reason of insanity. He was diagnosed schizophrenic by multiple psychologists. Here we go, schizophrenia again. Mm-hmm. But... They rejected the they rejected that plea of, you know, innocence by insanity, and he was executed by lethal injection in 1994. Now, there have been many movies about uh, John Wayne Gacy, but one of my personal favorite ones is from actually another perspective. While he was sitting on death row, Gacy was corresponding with a young man named Jason Moss, who had a fascination with serial crime and decided to make Gacy the subject of his criminology class's term paper. Well, Jason attempted to get inside Gacy's head, find out what made him tick, you know. He was, you know, trying to appear as the type of boy that Gacy went for, which was, you know, the vulnerable, at-risk youth from a dysfunctional family. Like, just, and you know, your average at-risk youth, basically. Mm-hmm. And it started with letters, and then it evolved into Jason Moss sending Gacy pictures of himself, like, shirtless, oiled up, having, like, just pumped iron to try and make himself look, like, real, like, you know, like, sexy. And, you know, it then turned into phone calls on a regular basis, and the two of them built up a rapport, and Gacy asked him to visit him before he died, which he eventually accepted. Now, the meeting began with them joking around and eating together until Moss asked Gacy about his first murder, which is when Gacy's light demeanor turned into complete hostility and anger, telling Moss he could easily kill him. So this led into, you know, Gacy getting a little bit too close and give it some flirtatious contact. And then he threatened to rape and murder Moss right then and there. But Mm. Moss fought back physically and verbally abusing Gacy before the guards came in and just kind of yanked him out of there. Now, he returned home and he got one final phone call from Gacy and Gacy let him know that, you know, oh, the stay on my execution was denied and I'm going to be killed. And Moss let him know that he was being played the whole time and that it was all an experiment. And Gacy just hung up the phone and got ready to die. Now, the whole movie was based on real events that occurred between John Wayne Gacy and Jason Moss, which Moss wrote a book on their relationship and before it was turned into a movie in 2010 called Dear Mr. Gacy great movie highly recommend very much a psychological thriller like it just different crazy things are happening at every turn the movie was made in 2010 but in 2006 because of his experience with John Wayne Gacy and everything that happened Jason Moss actually committed suicide because it had Gacy had messed with his head so much he just couldn't forget everything that had happened Mm. 
true sociopath when he gets in your head and you can't get him the fuck out. Yes. There's a lot of detectives that go through that, even, like, with cases, and they can't solve them. And they try to get in the mind of the serial killer, and it just becomes too much. And now, the final murderer mm-hmm. of our evening. Are you ready to put the key in the door and really unlock this Israel keys? Mm-hmm. Why did you bring back so many keys? Mm-hmm. By far, this is one of like the most chilling serial murders for me. Because when you're talking a serial murderer, I think the most terrifying and saddening thing is when you see a serial killer that has murdered so many people and so many to a point where they have now considered it almost like terrorism because they can't label to how many he did. His name is Israel Keys. He was born in Richmond, Utah in 1978. He was raised in a Mormon family, oh jeez, and was Mormons, man. Not only that, but ladies and gentlemen, he was homeschooled. And nothing against homeschooling. Some moms are great, but you got to get the social. And back in 1978, 1980s, there wasn't all these beautiful groups that we have now, like for social events, stuff like that. Sheltered, sheltered children. His family moved from Aladdin Road area, Washington, and they became neighbors and friends with some people and occasionally attended a Christian identity church. Eventually, however, Keys rejected religion entirely, identifying as an atheist shortly before his arrest. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure God wasn't going to take you back then at that point. <laughs> just, just saying. The body of Christ. Just There's no you. point in repenting. He doesn't exist anymore to me. Uh, Keyes served in the U.S. Army in 1998 through 2000 at Fort Lewis, Fort Hood, and in Egypt. He started a construction business in 2007 in Alaska. Of all the places... Alaska. What the fuck is he going to build out there? Uh-huh. It's a great place to hide, ain't it? Keys Construction, working as a handyman, contractor, and construction worker. So here's where we get down to the nitty gritty, the victims. And this is where, like, if you got a sour stomach or this just isn't for you, sorry. I summarized it with Edmund, but it's not going to come with Keys. Keys' first victim was in Washington State in the 1990s. Keys admitted to the investigators that he killed four people in Washington State, claims which are subject of an active investigation by the FBI, as well as police in that state. He lived in several places in the state from the late 1990s until 2008. As a specialist in the U.S. Army, he was stationed in Fort Lewis sometime between 1990 to 2001. Keys also lived in the small city of, hope I don't butcher all these, Colville in eastern Washington and in Macaw Reservation community of Ney Bay on the Olympic Peninsula. Keys did not have a felony or criminal record in Washington, although... Although he had been cited in Thurist County, which is like kind of in or near Olympia, mm-hmm. for driving without a valid license. In an earlier incident, he pleaded guilty to driving under the influence. Authorities are viewing unsolved murder and missing persons cases determined which, if any, may link to Keys. Because Keys, they're saying it'll all come up at the end, but he wasn't really very blunt about what he did and where he did it. He confessed to at least one murder, though, in New York State. Authorities have not determined the identity, age, or gender of the victim, or when or where the murder has occurred. But regard to the confession as credible, Keys had ties to New York State. 
He owed 10 acres and a rundown cabin in the town of Constable. Keyes also confessed to bank robberies in New York and Texas. The FBI later confirmed that Keyes robbed a community bank branch in, oh, let's just say New York, in 2009. Well, let's just say it's New York. The FBI said that Keyes had threatened people in the bank with a handgun, although there were no injuries, which is, I mean, I think a great thing. He also was told that he uh, burglarized a Texas home and set it on fire. Keyes was also linked to the deaths of Bill and Lorraine Courier of Essex, Vermont. Although with his confession, authorities say that they have enough evidence to link Keyes to the murders. The Vermont couple was last seen after leaving for work in 2011. Keys reportedly broke into the courier's home on the night of June 8th and tied them up before driving to an abandoned farmhouse where he shot Bill Courier before sexually assaulting and strangling Lorraine Courier. However, their bodies have not been found. Two years prior to Courier's deaths, Keys hid a murder kit near their home, which included a handgun and various supplies. Like sometimes it would be like duct tape. And it said that like after he came out, well, not came out, but as he had this deal with the FBI that they wouldn't let like that he had these murder kits like what's your uh so what's your doomsday prepper shelter filled with well we got some duct tape i got some rubber gloves a few tarps some rope i got my uh my knives down there and then i got a few hazmat suits because you know i gotta keep my clothes clean well and, and this is the crazy thing so they'd be like you know when you go to home depot and you see those yellow t- or the orange tubs yeah so he'd hide those like near the house in the ground i recently saw and i think it was crime junkies that somebody had found a trunk and it looked like that it could have been one of israel keys's murder kits shut up so he has these hidden around even to this day there could still be murder kits out there that we just have no idea because there are so many murders that he could have committed that they can't even link him to it's crazy I want one. I want a murder kit. I want one of his murder kits. Oh, my God. No, I don't want any of that bad juju. He probably has some, like, really good knives in there, though. Ugh. Keys used these supplies during the murder of the couriers. After the murder, he moved most of the items to a new hiding place in Parrishville, New York, where they remained until after his arrest. Keys planned murders along ahead, like, a long time ahead. He took extraordinary action to avoid detection. Unlike most serial killers, he didn't have a victim profile. He always killed far from home and never in the same place twice, which is what makes it so hard for them to peg him now that he's no longer with us. On his murder trips, he kept his mobile phone turned off and paid for items in cash. He had no connection to any of his victims. In Courier's murders, he flew to Chicago, there rented a car, to drive a thousand addition miles to Vermont, and then he used a murder kit he had hidden two years earlier to perform the murders. Oh my god. Yeah, Keyes was really messed up. He like admired Yes, he admired Ted Bundy. Like they had several different like similarities. Both were heavy drinkers, methodical, intelligent felt a possession over their victims. However, there are notable differences, one being the fact that Ted Bundy had a type. He had a type of victim he liked. You know, skinny, hair parted right down the middle, pretty girls. I'm safe, thank God. 
So he had a deal, <laughs> yeah, for for uh, Ted Bundy, not Keys. <laughs> if Keys was still alive, he didn't care. He had no profile. He also had a deal going on with the FBI where as long as, from what I understand, as long as they didn't announce him in the press, he would continue to talk. However, he wanted to be killed within a timely manner because he didn't want to live any longer and he knew what he did. But the FBI kept wanting to get more information. Keyes was also last known for the murder and kidnapping of 18-year-old Samantha Koenig, a barista working in Anchorage, Alaska. Authorities say that Keyes kidnapped her from her place of employment, stole her debit card and property, and then murdered her the following day. My first question is, do they have Starbucks in Alaska? I don't know. It's not a Starbucks, I can tell you that, because if you look it up, if you look up, they have a great uh, documentary Mm-hmm. on oxygen about keys and they actually show you the footage that they like when this case broke they didn't initially show any footage of mm-hmm. like the inside of the place where she worked or like the outside and they have him getting into a car and stuff like that but no i don't think it's a star bay so, so it's <laughs> one of those like cute little independent coffee shops that calls coffee what it is small medium and large yeah probably english you know it's a great language not big bigger and i mean this is a 20 <laughs> Police stated that he sexually assaulted Koenig before her murder. I hate that I was laughing when I said that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you psychopath. Oh my god. I was laughing at you, but like I couldn't stop laughing. But like sexual assault is not funny. It's not funny at all. After Koenig's death, Keys left on a cruise out of New Orleans, leaving Koenig's body in a shed. When he returned home, he took a photograph of her body with a four-day-old issue of Anchorage Daily News, maintaining the illusion that she was still alive in his ransom demand. After demanding 30000 in ransom, Keyes dismembered Koenig and disposed of her body. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this one. Sorry, guys. Man... Mantanaska Lake north of Anchorage. Keys was arrested in Texas after using Koenig's debit card, which he had Dumbass. previously used in New Mexico and Arizona. Like, all that fucking planning, dude. All that fucking planning. Not only did you get caught on fucking camera kidnapping a bitch, but you used her fucking debit card and then asked her parents for a fucking ransom? Hey, he ran out of traveler's checks. <laughs> Uh, at least like pull everything out of an atm at first i mean cash do it in like like anchorage and then just kind of like go down not only that we're talking like 2012 2013 there's cameras at atms idiot and you can track everything online okay we're not trying to give tips we're just saying like that was probably a dumb move if you want to steal someone's credit card here's how you're gonna do it (laughs) You sure as shit don't steal it, then use it. Which he had previously used in New Mexico and Arizona. Keyes was subsequently extradited to Alaska, where he confessed to Koenig's murder. He was indicted on the case, and his trial was scheduled to begin in March 2013. However... Let it be known that Keyes was a U.S. veteran, lived a quiet life in Anchorage's best neighborhoods, doing well-regarded handiwork for unsuspecting customers, 
He had been due to go on trial, like I said, in March 2013. But the investigators believe that he has killed up to 8 to 11 people, if not more. On December 2nd, 2012, of course, it had to be my fucking birthday. Dun, dun, dun. Motherfucker killed himself. He cut his wrists and choked himself with his bed sheet. He was 34 years old. And let it be known that the one main reason as to why this psychopath killed himself, we will never know. He did put out a letter. I'm not going to give him the vanity and fucking read that shit. But it's almost like he's talking about his <clears throat> victims and how he felt with those victims. But not only that, the fact that he had a deal with the FBI that they would have to provide him certain things every single time that he spoke with them. He had it pretty much fucking made, but somehow, someway, him being in investigation leaked to the press, which was part of their deal that they wouldn't leak to the press. And after they lost the trust of Israel Keys, he stopped talking about anything that had happened or what he could have done with other people. So there could still, to this day, be crimes in which he's committed that he will never, ever we will ever know. All right, now I've got a couple questions for you. First of all, you know, you say you're not that you make the police promise that they're not going to say anything. What the hell makes you think that one of them isn't like a mole or like a narc? See, and that's the thing. I th- I can't remember how it got leaked. I think they did figure it out, and I think it is. If you want to know more, Oxygen has a great series, like a little tiny, like I think it's like an hour special about his crimes. You can see the footage of him confessing. You see the FBI agents that one-on-one interviewed him and how they talk about him. He was just very manipulative. He knew he had the upper hand because there were so many other murders he committed to the point where, you know, they've never made it public per se. But crime reporter has said that he goes past serial murder to just a straight up terrorist. But the FBI has never come out publicly with that. Okay, but, like, why does he fall into the realm of terrorists? That's my question, because, like... Because if you look at the way that he was interrogated, he had the upper hand. He terrorized so many people. He didn't have a actual profile like most serial killers fall into a profile Mm -hmm. he seems like he just killed to kill like with all the hate in his heart and just didn't care who he took out it was just like fuck it i'm gonna do it who the fuck cares so i guess causing terror so for me i think it's more the fact that he caused so much terror but i also Mm -hmm. don't know what the fbi would classify as a terrorism but he's definitely a murderer that could have killed so many random cold cases so many unsolved missing cases like there's just so many that the fbi did whatever to try to get as much information as possible because they were getting it from him because he was telling them yeah and then he like offed himself now when it comes to that was it suicide or was it autoerotic asphyxiation gone wrong (laughs) i'm pretty sure it was with blood fetish Because once he shut down, they knew it was only a matter of time because he was insistent on being on death row and it to be within like the month or so of death row that he was assigned. Like he had very specific wants, needs and all that jazz. Even to like 
when he spoke with them, I think it was, I think it's him. He wanted a cigar, he wanted a coffee and something else, or he would not talk. And they would bring it every single fucking time. Dude, I'm lucky if I get like a like a glass of toilet water if I want to And if I remember correctly, the girl that's the FBI agent even said that. So every time he came in, they would have to bring him in. So he would have to come transported over. It wasn't like it was connected. He wasn't obviously like a county yeah like, because it's he loud. wasn't in he wasn't in gen pop no which just makes like a whole month like he just for me the reason i pick him and the reason i i gravitate towards those cases is because mm-hmm. how many cases are still there that are still his and we'll never know and he was a father he was a veteran like he had it made he had the white picket fence in the cul-de-sac environment and he weren't a family annihilator you were literally just like you you would go on trips and kill people it was a hunting trip you'd plan that shit years in advance like how the movie the pest dude it's like how many murder kits do you think are out there oh dude like knowing that there may be one in vermont i almost want to find like a treasure map Mm. but then it would end up being like spongebob and i'd like find a spot and be like two gold doubloons well you gotta think they're not even just in vermont they're everywhere amanda like he traveled everywhere for the military there could be one everywhere it could be right next to your house dude i'm totally gonna try and fucking find it go check next to my house get a get a metal detector y'all now I want to find a murder kit in Pennsylvania. Or I could just make my own. FBI, please don't come after me. That's a joke. I'm not being serious. <laughs> don't put me on any watch list, please. I'm not with her. I don't know her. Who's <laughs> this strange woman in my podcast? She doesn't even go here. Sweetie, did you even go here? I just have a lot of feelings. <laughs> go home. Just go home. Now that I'm totally ready to not sleep tonight... I know, right? So many body chills just sitting alone recording this. Like, I'm fucking terrified to go and lay in my bed tonight. Dude, I'm gonna hear, like, weird creaking noises and be like, who the fuck is that? But I will say this. I'm living for the bump of the night, and I'm so glad that these people are no longer with us. Like, Ed Kemper, just so y'all know, is on death row. He's still the fuck alive, but I think he's pretty cushy in there. He's not leaving. You want to know more? Look him up. He's They've done so many things on him, from ID channel to oxygen. Just look him up. Also, Mindhunter, they do a pretty good depiction of him. Israel Keys is on oxygen, but he took himself out, so I don't have to worry about that shit no more. Well, and you got to think, like, they they pull a, you know, Law & Order SVU where they're just like, if this is this is not meant to be a real person, these are all fictional. Like, you got to think that there have been episodes of Criminal Minds that have dealt with, you know, some of the serial killers of the past. Well, it's just like, um, what was it, the Green State Killer or something like that? The one that, who does the voice of Ratatouille? Patton Oswald. Patton Oswald. His wife, when she was alive, wrote a book on, uh, I think it's the Garden State Killer or something like that. Green, Green State. Tweet it at us. Instagram it at us. DM us. Please, I would love to know. I can't yeah. remember off the top of my head, but they based an SVU off that whole case, like with the plates on the husband's back and the wife yep. being raped. Like they based a whole episode on that. So a lot of SVU episodes, they say they're fictionalized because they're dramatized, but a lot of them are real. If it was all fake, then there wouldn't have been no friggin' Anna Nicole Smith. Oh, yeah, they had that case too. I remember that. Mm-hmm, when her son died. Yep, I remember that. I don't watch. I don't watch No Law and Order, but. 
I remember. Pepperidge oh, Farm remembers. <laughs> I remember. Remember when he remember. The Bog Witch and the Basic Bitch need a lot of sleep. <laughs> yeah, it's it's night night time. You guys have uh, gotten the first real episode during Spooktober. Congrats. Congrats. More spooky coming your way. This has been Nerd Tea. Goodbye. Bye.